along with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. International. I am Ron Kolek, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me all the way from across the pond is the gold standard and gold ghost hunting himself, Mr. Steve Parsons. You're going to have to write down that intro. Why? Because you keep messing it up every week. Uh, I know. i got to come up with no one. Oh, okay. So there you go. And so anyway, today's an exciting day because we are launching uh, – I'm not launching. I'm not launching anything uh, but Mr. Parsons is, uh, along with Cal uh, Cooper, a brand new book called Paracoustics. It's rubbish, really. I wouldn't buy it. Mm. Now, speaking about that, did you see on the Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition the the film from the uh, the NASA uh, place? I did. It wasn't it amazing? Uh, incredible, actually. Blew I, my I, mind. Absolutely blew me away. I, I just don't get that. I really don't. For those who don't know, if you go on the Ghost Chronicles Morning uh, Edition page, it was posted there. And basically, it's a, you know, a ball it's of light. A, it's an orb. It's a bit of dust floating in front of the camera. We I both mean, know it is. Stop tormenting the listeners. I don't get it though. I mean, you know, I what? mean, we saw we saw in, in the uh, <laughs> museum there. We saw that lovely statue that moved around. I mean, that was a mystery, but I mean, an orb. <laughs> it's a NASA orb. It's a NASA orb. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about it. I mean, it, it was you know, if it did something like phenomenal, like if it sang and danced or or. Uh, <laughs> Whatever, but it, you know, but it it just moved, and and the guy was really freaked about it. He thought it was uh, some type of spirit. Put, yeah, the guys that put the man on the moon, and now they well may have put the man on the moon, but uh-huh. you know what? Hey, we're never going to kill the orb. But orbs right. are I mean, tonight. We're talking about sound, which is a good thing. Or, I wonder if orbs make noises. Actually, actually, no, seriously, actually. Uh, funny sound story related to orbs, um, relating to infrasound, actually. That, which, uh, which has got something to do with your book, too, which I believe. Which has something to do with the book. We'll, cover the, we'll come to the book after the funny story. But mm-hmm. we, um, some years ago, we, I was talking to some paranormal investigators who informed me that they were uh, had been recording infrasound, and we got talking about infrasound. Mm-hmm. And they said that uh, the infrasound that they were recording was caused by these ball, these plasma balls, these orbs which they were capturing on camera as they zoomed about exactly like lightning creates thunder. These orbs were creating infrasound. Really? Apparently so. Uh, were they able to measure this infrasound created by these balls of light? 
Oh, and they said they were, and they sent me the sound files to have a look at. And uh-huh. uh, what they were actually recording is the noise floor in their uh, computer sound card. But, uh, hey, you know, why let that spoil it? They thought they were recording the voices of the dead or the sounds of uh, orbs or something else, but uh, it turns out they were just recording the noise. Was there any correlation whatsoever between the sound and and the movement of the orbs? None whatsoever, except that they'd managed to... uh, They'd had a look at the sound files. They'd seen at the low-frequency end uh, a lot of... Uh, lines on the on the spectrograph, mm-hmm. which they assumed was infrasound, even though it wasn't. And when they looked at the videos for the corresponding sort of uh, time frame, they noticed lots of orbs zooming about on the pictures, so they put three and three together and made 97. You know, I, 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 I just... I don't understand it. I mean, if you have a correlation, okay, that makes it interesting. You know, if, you, if there was music to the orbs, okay, that's cool. Uh, you know, it's something to think about. But, you know, just random sound and random light movement and then to correlate it that they were the results of each other is a little annoying, I think. Well, they, ghost hunters like to have theories to explain stuff because they find things that they can't explain and so they go away and try and rationalise it and come up with explanations. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't necessarily have the, the, the technical skills uh, to deal with some of the things that they measure and that's the reason why. Uh, I can't remember how long ago it was now. Uh, maybe our guest tonight will, will enlighten me, but I came up with this idea of a book about sound and the paranormal. Um, to try and give people the information that was required. And uh, what I was after was a book that I would read, a book that would convey some, some or be some, of some assistance to ghost hunters, but also to academic parapsychologists. And quite often they, um, we refer to papers, we refer to the work of other researchers and it's very, very difficult sometimes to find those original papers. And so from the start, um, we were both very keen that those original papers should be included as well. So uh, I think that's an appropriate time to introduce the co-editor of Paracoustics, uh, Sound and the Paranormal, who's waiting quietly for a change. Dr. Cal Cooper? <laughs> Not quite yet. Hi, Steve. How run? How are you doing? The rock star of the parapsychologist, right? Oh, thank you very much. Have I still got that title? Stick with me, you do. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) You've actually got me thinking, Steve. I mean, how long... It it was actually two or three years ago since you originally... You know, it was one of many telephone calls that you actually put the idea to me. uh, And then it sort of drifted and kept on sort of changing until we finally went ahead and started writing it. So this has been not months, but a few years in the making. Um, I, I know it goes back some time. I, I, I can't actually remember the start of it. I remember the original idea was to try and uh, put together a book that was broad in its context, that dealt with sound and supplied uh, the basic information, but the, the, the scientific information that goes behind it as well. Um, and I, I, I didn't realise it was quite that long. It seems like half a lifetime now. And I'm glad yeah. the damn thing's out at last. <laughs> I think the worst thing is just emails. When you've got emails going back and forth, because for this book with Paracoustics, we have 
what is it, um, four or five contributors that we have, and then the first section of the book is um, at least five or six different chapters as well. So that was a lot of to and froing over the months and months of me having a look at it, having a little edit with it, sending it back to Steve, Steve having a look and then sending it back. And then we decided we wanted the references in a completely different way, so we had to strip every single chapter of its references and write it in a different format. So this was really, even though you know the final product, we both haven't seen the actual copies of this book yet. We've seen the we've seen the PDF, and you know it was a long slog, but so worth it with exactly what Steve has described. The fact that from Steve's sort of um, um, idea of producing this manual, this guide for sound and the paranormal, um, it's grown into this, and it's not quite what I ever expected it to be, but it's fantastic. It's sort of surpassed that. Um, and, and Steve, as the main editor, has steered this really well and given some sort of like good ideas to adding extra things to the appendices for extra papers that people wouldn't normally have access to, or how people can go out and actually record different sounds or experiment with sounds in their own way on field investigations. So it really is a handy sort of field manual. The only thing I regret, of course, is that I wanted to put colouring section in it so people could colour <laughs> in the pictures. And and the Dr. Dot. But what we've got, actually, is it deals with um, the first chapter is the physics of sound, which actually relates to all of the physical properties of sound, its wavelength, its frequency, velocity, the, the basic units that we measure sound in, how it relates to hearing, um, how we record sound, the different techniques that we can record sound using, and some of the basic techniques of sound analysis. Then we have uh, the psychology of sound, which again looks at how we process and perceive sound uh, and how it relates to parapsychology. Then there is um, a chapter that relates to noisy ghosts. Uh, these are the sounds of haunted houses. Ghosts in haunted houses are not, are not quiet phenomena. You know, from the very first documented ghost, Pliny's chain-rattling ghost in first-century Athens, through to the swish of the dress uh, um, and the sounds at Morley, right up to the present-day footsteps in empty corridors. Um, then we have a chapter dealing with noisy spirits, which is the sounds of the sound room, the, the, the speaking trumpets, the, the, the knocks, the raps, all of the sounds that relate to the sound room and spirits. Then we have... Um, I was going to say it's a brief chapter, but just looking at the chapter, the page numbers, there's 30 odd pages of a brief history of EVP <laughs> research. It's an undergraduate dissertation. <laughs> uh, which looks, uh, it's a, it says a brief history, but then a full history of EVP research would probably run to hundreds of pages. So Yeah, by all means, it is brief. Yeah, so uh, at 30 pages, it is brief. Um, then we have uh, a chapter which I'm quite pleased to be included, which is Infrasound. Uh, looks at infrasound in, in some detail, and also puts uh, ends the chapter with uh, some possibilities for future research. Um, of course, uh, we no, no book on the sound and the paranormal would be replete without telephone anomalies, um, lab experiments, uh, how they relate to science survival, because of course the telephone is an acoustic instrument. Those are the chapters primarily by Cal and I. Um, then we have um, the psychology and neurophysiology accounts EVP, um, which was contributed by Anne Winsper, who's been a guest on the show before. Spontaneous music and voices, which relates to um, 
and it says spontaneous music and, <laughs> and voices. Then we have music and death. Yeah, music and death, uh, shamanism, spirit possession. And uh, then we have, which is quite topical here in the UK, the acoustic properties of unexplained rapping sounds. And that does deal in some depth with the Enfield haunting um, and some very detailed sound analysis that was carried out on those sounds and on other sounds, uh, both within the sounds chamber and also within haunted locations. Uh, then we have a whole raft of appendices, uh, which are a big bulk of scientific papers that relate to sound and the paranormal. And then finally we end with some, uh, I guess you'd call them basic how-to guides relating to sound recording and analysis. And uh, and I can't remember what the other one was. <laughs> oh, no, I wrote the damn thing as well. Oh, yeah, EVP. So yeah. it's a very comprehensive book. I think it comes out at 331 pages before we even go into the hundreds of pages of references and further reading suggestions. Mm. You know, my two favourite chapters out of that, and they were last-minute suggestion by Steve, and I was in B&Q at the time, and so I ended up walking around the section looking for screw fixtures for about two hours as I was holding the phone to my head listening to Steve come up with this idea for it'd be great if we had two chapters that just looked at noisy ghosts and noisy spirits. And they were, they were kind of the last thing to actually be produced out of the book after we had everything already set. It just needed editing and sewing together. So I went away and wrote that, and Steve had um, more or less finished a chapter, a prototype of some noisy ghosts. And I actually really enjoyed it. Once we put them together and we switched to actually have a, a proofread of them and a, a comparison of the two to make sure that one was focusing on ghosts and one was focusing on more so spirits that we'd relate to the seance room, I really enjoyed reading those back. I found them quite different to the other chapters that we'd actually produced. They were more the kind of raw roots of ghost hunting that I enjoyed and looking at these accounts in the real world setting and what people had experienced and whether any scientists had actually come into uh, of some form to investigate these strange rapping sounds or hearing noisy ghosts or musical ghosts and I think those two within the first section people will find quite a surprise um, away from the other chapters that seem to surround them I think we've so, gone to sleep Oh, yeah, Ron, are you you're still with us, Ron? Yes, 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 yes. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to it all because, you know, it's all quite interesting. And uh, it's, you know, it, it's a lot of work there. There's a lot of material. And, and you know, you've taken on so many different subjects. Uh, it, it's amazing that you can go into any depth with it because there's such a variety of subjects. Uh, take, a look, take a look at Steve's fingers next time you see them, <laughs> and literally type to the bone. <laughs> well, obviously, in, in a book of uh, any book, uh, you have to be selective about what you take out, what you leave in. And what we were hoping to achieve, uh, the aim was to... We can. I don't think you could write the definitive work on the subject. I think that would run to several volumes um, in a way beyond affordable publishing um, possibly by electronic means but mm. what we what we were after was um seeking to compile uh, a book that was the foundations to give investigators the information that they need but also to direct parapsychologists because often they also um you know delve into these areas and 
they're psychologists. They, they often don't understand or relate necessarily to the physics of sound. Obviously, the psychology of sound they'll be more comfortable with. So it's providing those with the information. Um, well, I mean, that's Cal's forte. So, I mean, uh, did you look at that, Cal, uh, why people hear what they hear in, in some of these instances? Well, I sort, of, inc- oh, sorry, uh, uh, I sort of covered it in the psychology of sound, but with Steve covering the physics of sound, it's hard to kind of explain the physics of sound without including the psychology of sound. So when you look at the two chapters, the physics of sound is way more extensive than the psychology of sound is. So when it comes to that, a recap on how sound is actually made and how it's processed, and then different things that sound can actually do to us in terms of our psychology and what sound is doing. So anything from a noise that we might consider unpleasant to harmonics that we might find relaxing and meditative. And then I kind of moved that through into, okay, this is what parapsychology has found with sound. So let's take the the sound of static, for example. If that's constantly playing and we've got this noise going on in our earphones if we're in the Gansfeld, it it, um, creates a form of sensory deprivation, especially for our hearing, but it also clears our thoughts and then kind of, in a way, it sort of remoulds them and brings them to the forefront. So whatever we're seeing or hearing, the imagery that we're getting, where's it actually coming from? When we look at Gansfeld experiments, you know, the vast majority of them have been extremely successful, um, especially the four or five recent ones that we produced on remote viewing at the University of Northampton. And people were hearing all kinds of sounds about the environment that they were allegedly going to when they were remote viewing. So if they're in a city, they were hearing people talking, car horns honking, um, an argument perhaps taking place or listening in on conversations. Or if they've gone to a national park, they're just hearing the trees and the birds. Normally, when people hear the static straight away, typically they're going to say, okay, I'm I'm hearing um, rushing water, which is what you'd attribute the sound to be. But afterwards, it loses that typical interpretation and becomes something completely different, which they believe that they're hearing. But it's kind of related to this altered state of consciousness and possible psi processes taking place. Because the information they say that they're hearing and what they say they're seeing underneath these eye shields as well seems to relate to the target. Um, So that's how I could explain it. But it runs for like five or six pages, really, because it's just an add-on to what Steve's already mentioned with the physics of sound. And this is Steve's forte as well, the physics of sound, how it's processed and linking it to psychology as well. Um, this is where his idea came from, and it's also, you know, the process of his PhD as well. And, and I mean, Anne is also working on on that similar too, mm. right? Yeah, uh, yeah. We were very we were very fortunate that um, when we asked Anne, there was some there was a potential conflict with her own PhD work and and writing yeah. for the book, uh, and also in in terms of the time factors as well. And so we were very pleased that Anne was able to contribute a chapter in the end to the book and a very important chapter um, because it relates, whereas I've already covered the the, uh, physics of electronic voice uh, phenomena, it was important that we also discussed within the book the psychology of electronic voice phenomena, why it is people hear what they hear or think they hear what they hear. I think that worked really nicely with the fact that we, you know, mainly focused as well on the, the history of EVP. So Anne could bring in her special forte of the psychology linked with EVP. We didn't really seem to touch that, you know. Um, 
whether we're being careful or not, we seem to have left that alone. So it, it made a perfect chapter for and to start the second half of the book with the contributed chapters as well. Yeah, it's uh, you know I'm dying to see the book myself because it, it covers so many so many uh, you know facets of of sound and the paranormal, and I really want to see. Uh, how you address them. I, I know you've gone into some of the history of it and some of the, the physics behind it. Uh, also, do you, I mean, and we talked a little bit about the, you know, the human factor involved in the, the psychology of it. Uh, I, I'm really, like I said, I'm really, really interested to see how you blended it together and, and what comes out of this. So, uh, so go ahead. No, go, go on, Ron. Go on. Keep going. So, I mean, who 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 is your target for this this book? Uh, essentially, it was it was always aimed um, at, 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 a, at a sort of uh, two pronged audience. Uh, the first being the ghost hunters, the people who are in the field listening to the sounds of the paranormal, listening, recording EVPs, listening to the footsteps in the empty corridors, um, and trying to understand by what process these are taking place uh, and what the, can they do with the stuff afterwards once they've got these recordings and what's the best techniques to make the recordings to make them valid in a meaningful way. But also, um, I was quite keen to address parapsychologists because uh, academic researchers, um, in the main, don't tend to have a good grounding in physics. Uh, and so... A lot of the time, their physical measurements and the, their approach to the physical side of, of uh, sound means that some of their experiments uh, are open to question. Some of the results are questionable, and so I was I was interested. I, I was quite keen that we get that information uh, and make it available to the, to those people as well. So whilst the book and. I think was very important throughout the throughout the whole writing of the book and the editing of the book was that we didn't want to use academic mumbo jumbo throughout um, because a it's off putting and impenetrable people will you know see these complicated uh, expressions and words and terms that he used. That's where we and, wave bye bye to the references. Yeah, um, <laughs> and what we wanted to do was make it in a readable format that anybody could just pick up. I mean, it's not a book that I, I imagine that you would start at the beginning and finish at the end. Uh, it's, it is that, but it's also a reference material as well. Um, mm. it's, it's been quite a difficult thing to put together, if I'm honest, because how I envisaged it, uh, I'm really pleased that it's worked. But as Cal said earlier, it's been a huge effort to do. And... So many emails backwards and forwards and changes with the editing and the way we had to format things. And, you know, we, we would send stuff back and then I would say to Cal, no, no, you're going to have to redo that because <laughs> you've used parapsychology speak in it. Uh, and I want it written to a, you know, anybody can understand it language. I, I think the worst bit was, in fact, when we, we changed how we wanted to address the, what we were talking about to the audience because even though you know I produced telephone calls from the dead and then I edited Alex Tannis's work together with Conversations with Ghosts, I think this was a complete learning curve for both of us because I'd never edited a book like this before where not only are we writing significant pieces each and then um, like the brief history of EVP that's a 
combined effort. Then we have contributed pieces as well that we're responsible for. And, um, you know, these people will be looking back on it. The previous people I've worked with are dead. So <laughs> what I've edited, they've pretty much got to be happy with. Um, and it was like maybe six, seven, eight months ago or something like that, just as we're starting to get the, the bulk of all the pieces together that we need. Um, Steve said, uh, it's not working, the, the way that it's referenced and everything. We need to write the references into the text to make it easy to explain and then put everything in the back so we have a full reference section. And the reference section runs for pages and pages showing you what the exact references were for each chapter if you are interested in what you heard in a chapter and want to follow it up. So it is there, but it, because it's not written into the chapter, it doesn't put you off in the, the flow of the writing which is great. And, you know, there have been some books before in parapsychology written like that, but there aren't very many. Um, so it caters, as Steve says, for different audiences really well. You know, what's really interesting is is we're now in the electronic age and, and so many of these electronic uh, books that are out there have that capability of putting reference material within the chapter so that if you're reading something and, and you wanted to see what was being referenced, you could just you click on a highlighted word and that would bring right up your, your reference material so that the reader could go through. I mean, it's, it's amazing what they're doing now with electronics, but in a paper format, you've, you've done the same thing, which is, is really interesting. Um, we did, to be honest with you, uh, one of the early ideas that, that I think my, my ambition knew no bounds at the start until the publisher reined me in on cost. Uh, <laughs> and one of those was to actually include something like a CD, um, which had uh, additional material, sound, sound material, but also all the references uh, in a sort of HTML format so you could open it with a browser. Mm -hmm. uh, but we would have, we would have broken the, I mean, as it is, um, I think we did break the budget a little bit. You've done um, the pop-ups as well. You wanted pop-ups on some pages as well. Yeah, we wanted. We, yeah, we wanted pop-ups, and we wanted. <laughs> um, but we we did break the budget a little bit, particularly with the. Um, I dug, dug my heels in and uh, insisted that there had to be a hardcover as well, mm. because um, I th I think that I think a hardcover book. A reference book should be a hardcover. There are paperbacks, and there is actually an e-version, a uh, Kindle version as well. Um, all three formats are, are, are available now on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> that was my next question, is tell you where can people get a hold of this book? Well, if they just type in paracoustics, all one word, and apparently um, I've invented a new word. So, oh. uh, yeah, paracoustics doesn't exist until I came up with it. So, uh, um, yeah, if they just type paracoustics, or sound and the paranormal into Amazon. There's also a link on the Ghost Chronicles International Facebook page as well. And um, the book also has a little humour in it because it does also reflect the personality of the two of the two uh, main editors. Mm. And one of those is um, a little. It started off as a conversation between Cal and I. Um, well, we're going to have to talk about that after I was the break. Say, yeah, anyway, I so I, know. Uh, I, know. I was doing my own segue into the break. Then, unfortunately, I take you ruined the it, Ron. I, unfortunately, I take the segues <sighs> into the break. So he's upset. 
stepping over his boundaries again, which I have to reel him in. Uh, so you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International. No more segue. It's been screwed. Uh, right here on Pararex, Tojinet, Planet Paranormal, and wherever else. Uh, maybe the Ghost Box. Who knows? We'll be right back after the following messages. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be with remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased. We'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parax family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Collette, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bombshell. And we're here at the elegant Benford Hall, the Downton Abbey of Menace. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you to tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles and Next Generation. On Toginet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your TuneIn app. I'll catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. Well, as the heartbeats fade away, it's time to come back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International. And a quick question for for my co-host, Ron. Do you honestly think that the British say felicitations? <laughs> What's that? Do you honestly think we Brits ever say felicitations? No, but Anne does. Yeah, well... So what's your point? Well, you know, greetings, and, feli- greetings and felicitations. When you're trying to be British from Downton Abbey, it's not I'm something not. you I'm not. That was Anne. Talk to Anne about it. Oh, you're on it too. Uh, 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 yeah, I'm fine. 
Talk See, I'm just not mentioning tea tonight. Oh, yeah, damn. too bad. So we're anyway, re- we renamed it. Uh, what felicitations? No, Parason. Well, no, you named Coop it. Coopsticks. Parason. Parason Coopsticks. Coopsticks. So we have Parason Coopsticks. They're in there all at once. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. Yeah, well, that's amazing. That's the title of the next book. So there today. you go. There you Sounds go. like a snack, actually, doesn't it? Yeah. Can I have a bag of Parison Coop sticks, please? Yeah. You want that to cheese go? You're going to eat it here. Yeah, cheese and onion. Uh, yeah, before the break, we were saying that uh, tonight we're talking about paracoustics, a word I apparently invented, um, and the title of the book, uh, para, uh, Paracoustics, Sound and the Paranormal, which came, out on, which, yeah, which came out yesterday on June the 1st. Um, but the book, in addition to it... Um, having a wealth of information for the investigator and for the parapsychologist also has a little humor um i think there are some there are some uh within the within the chapters some noisy ghosts and some noisy spirits which are, are written in a in a very sort of uh i would say a humanistic style the the rest of the book probably isn't written in um we we both relate some of our own experiences um where sound and the para or sound has got us, I guess, into a little trouble uh, with the paranormal. But also the cover of the book, uh, it also carries a little humour, which started off uh, with a telephone conversation from the living, from Dr Cooper, uh, who was, we were talking about an aged British pop star um, at the time. (laughs) By the name of Shaken <laughs> Stephen. And Cal said, wouldn't it be a good idea if we got someone like famous like Shaken Stevens to read <laughs> the book that we could put on the cover? Little knowing that, um, that I said, well, if you want that to happen, it can be arranged. You have no idea who you're speaking to and that my wife is a cousin of said pop star. So he quickly backed off and we came up with a different <laughs> idea. <laughs> Yeah, so, the, the colour just drains from my face. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have but, a little humour on the back cover. I, I do like the alternative. It was uh, a really good idea. <laughs> but you yeah. mentioned the cover, though, and then you you also mentioned previously that going over budget with having Kindle oh, version, book. paperback version, and a hardback version. White Crow Books haven't done that before. Um, no, and, and they also think... haven't had the trouble with the cover design. That they've no. Had the front. <laughs> <laughs> That went on and on for ages because we had an initial design of a ghost which looked, different. well, different. You <laughs> had some words for how it looked. And, uh, and the remit was just ghost with headphones. Um, and it just didn't really what? look like a ghost. It looked like something. didn't look like a ghost. <laughs> um, but you, I think the listeners might be interested to know that the most difficult thing to do on that cover... And the most detailed thing was the wire leading away from the headphones. It must have taken the designer about weeks to actually get that right, the way that they wanted it to come out. Um, but we went through at least um, you know, a half dozen versions that kept on altering and then altering of the ghost and also the background colour as well to get it right because we knew we wanted these hazard stripes. So this, you know, we've got sound and the paranormal, this sort of physis- physics aspect the psychology aspects, we wanted this industrial kind of theme to it, which is why we've got the hazard warning signs at the bottom. Um, so we could have had those in white and red and yellow and black, and I think there was a, a green and red, which looked a bit more like a Christmas tree, in my opinion. But, uh, 
But w- with how it stands now, I'm looking at it on, on Amazon, and some people have just been commenting um, on um, ordering the book and also the show that we're doing right now. And it, it really does stand out, you know, with that yellow background and how the ghost is. And I know it might receive mixed opinions, but the main point about a book is you see it, you pick it up and want to know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think it will achieve that as it, you know, it's only been out a day. So it's going to grow from here, hopefully. Well, actually, you're at, uh, just while you were talking, I was scrolling back through the emails about the cover, and we've got—I've uh, got eleven emails uh, of different designs. <laughs> as we, as we, we're nitpicking our way through this because we we both had an idea about what the cover should. I know we're focusing on the cover now, but it it shows the detail that we were concerned about. We were we were just as—I uh, mean, there's hundreds of emails uh, relating to the in, inside of the book. But we wanted the cover also to reflect the contents, to reflect the personality uh, of, the, of the editors and the contributors, but also, as Cal says, to stand out on the bookshelf, to stand out on a web page. And um, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's a ghost wearing a pair of headphones, you know. Mm. There you go. If it had an ass, it might be able to do that. <laughs> And these anyway. are special headphones. That's why the wire took so long to uh, oh. to get right with the design. Oh, oh the wire didn't come in. Like Actually, the VP. Why? Well, no, that I, I think. What was it? I think the ghost probably took the longest time. Because uh, yeah, because it it didn't have arms. Making the arms was um, it, it added to the effort. Picture yeah, that really. ghost now without the arms, and that's. Something of well, what we had before. <laughs> I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say what the first, what the very first draft looked like. All I can say is think Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> ah, interesting. Anyways, um, tonight I'm doing, of course, a, a red light seance as part of my continuing study on that. And you look in one of the chapters you were talking about was the seance. Uh, so, w- what type of material is, is in this chapter regarding the, the seance? So that's um, some noisy spirits, and um, we really didn't want those two to clash. Um, as much as Steve now and then you hear him have a dig at me with the parapsychology side, and parapsychologists don't belong in haunted locations, I started out in hauntings, and I made loads of notes and reports from the time that I did it. So we were trying to base these two chapters on our own experience. But Steve said, try and make it more something of spiritualism and how psychology has dealt with the seance room and what sounds, if anything, have been produced from that aspect. And Steve was concentrating on the ghosts. So I, I start um, uh, some noisy spirits by talking about the history of spiritualism and the Fox sisters and their um, kind of rise Rapid to... Tap, tap. Yeah, there you go. And talking about their raps and taps from the 1830s, 1840s onwards. And some of the little-known history about it, because there's a lot of people that say, well, the Fox sisters were making it up. They were clicking their toes inside their shoes. They were dropping an apple out of the bed and then pulling it back in with string. All these different ideas that were put to it, they confessed at one point to the toe clicking. But on the initial bangs and taps that they heard, when you look at the early report, uh, within a day or so, the um, the daughters were taken out of the house and the father remained and had a neighbour come in to actually see if someone else could actually hear these taps. And lo and behold, the raps and taps actually continued when the girls weren't actually present. And it's the same when we look at Enfield as well, when everyone says, uh, well, not everyone, but more so the cynics and these magicians that come along and say, well, Morris Gross and Guy Playfair were clearly dupes. The girls were doing it 100% of the time. Even when the girls were sent away on holiday and Morris and Guy had the house to themselves, 
things still continued. So we can't place all the phenomena down to the person uh, or the child playing a prank. And that's more so the truth with um, the Fox sisters as well. And that's never heard of. So I kind of brought out some of the original history of the Fox sisters and extended it a bit more. And, of and course, I- we... I'm sorry, I thought you... No, go on. I was going to say, and of course, we have a second chapter that deals specifically with, uh, I guess, seance room phenomena, uh, and uh, or, or, or as part of it, which is Barry, Doctor ba- mm. Barry Colvin's contributed chapter, and he's done a. Um, it starts off with uh, a, a run through the Fox sisters and other notable cases, but Barry has done a very detailed acoustic analysis of uh, unexplained sounds produced from within haunted locations. Uh, and within the seance environment um, and has discovered that there is a clear difference between ones that were human-produced replications of the the paranormal sounds, the supposed paranormal sounds, and the, the, uh, the spirit sounds themselves. And it, the, the, the analysis is, is really very interesting and needs a wider audience than, than just being stuck in a... In a rather dull scientific journal. May I add also that I think his chapter was one of the longest ones for us to edit because the format was different and the amount of graphs that were involved in it. And then also Clay Foley's because of just the the length of his chapter as well. It just went on and on with all these different examples of different accounts of people spontaneously hearing music from early biblical interpretation and times through to modern day accounts as well. Um, but Barry's is certainly, even though it's one of the last chapters that we have, it's one of those that's been really controversial as well with him looking at these rapping sounds that have been recorded that don't seem to match the acoustical properties of the building. And it's been published previously in the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research, and I believe we've also... Have we included that in the appendices, his original one? It's more um, or less... Any, no, because the, the chapter itself, itself is, 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 more or less, is, is yeah. an updated version of the original paper, so there was no need to that's put right. the original paper in, in this instance. My apologies, that's right. It would be that's interesting... Why it, his- it would be interesting to get uh, Jack Hunter's uh, thoughts on that, because he's doing work with science, isn't he, uh, Cal? Yeah, he's in there as well. He provided the chapter on um, music and shamanism and possession. And um, he was, though we didn't bump into each other, he was recently in Hay on Why, um, well, I was there as well, book hunting, and he came out with more books on possession and uh, shamanism. And um, it's basically a combination of things that he's already published on and some aspects of contributed papers to the Paraanthropology Journal. And he's written something brand new, something unique to actually contribute to paracoustics on this topic that hasn't been published elsewhere as well. So even though some of these um, contributed chapters that we have might have been published elsewhere, we've tweaked them, we've changed them, or the contributing authors have added new introductions or have updated them since. So everything that you're getting is a unique glimpse, something brand new, something that hasn't been seen or read before to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds, like I said, um, I can't wait to get my hands on a little copy. We'll have to wait till September, right, Steve? Uh, you will, I'm afraid. No, yeah. Surely you're going to post him one before then. No, he's too no, I'll take one out. <laughs> What's he getting? Is he, get, is he getting a paperback or is he getting a hardback? I, I know. I've already. Ron will definitely be getting one of the one of the uh, the hardback copies. Uh, yeah. It's going to be signed, signed in blood. Because <laughs> um, 
because Ron has a, a particularly wobbly table, as I understand, and it's, we've just discovered 331 pages is exactly Perfect. the right height with the hard covers to sustain the table. Yeah, I actually had him to ask him to put a couple of extra pages in because I know where we're ah, that explains shy. the four. That explains the four blank pages at the yeah, end. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little shy, so I needed that stability. Uh, so, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty big undertaking uh, on that type of uh, you know book. I mean, it, it's easy when you're doing it by yourself, but when you had so many different chapters dealing with so many things, and, and you wanted some type of flow going through it, I'm, I'm sure it was a, a difficult undertaking. When I first started writing stuff for it, when Steve and I just outlined, okay, we need to have chapters on this, the first thing. I honestly started with was a brief history of EVP. And I remember just being sat, it was summertime, um, and I just got a stack of all the books on EVP that I wanted to include. And then I thought, well, I want to dig deeper than this. There's a really important history. One of the typical things that always annoys me is seeing in some popular churned-out book on EVP saying that um, Frederick Jurgensen was the discoverer of EVP in the late 1950s, you know, uh, just towards the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that just simply wasn't true. No, there were reports published before then. And as Steve also pointed out, a contributor as well, you know, we have even earlier accounts that weren't recognized as being this as well with, you know, gramophone recordings and other things like that. They weren't identified as um, this new anomaly within psychical research. And so I just kept typing and typing. It was getting longer and longer. And then when things like Constantine Raudover's book, Breakthrough, came out, parapsychologists generally hated it, but there was just a few that loved it. And this caused mass controversy in the correspondence sections of a lot of journals, such as Light, which was produced by the College of Psychic Studies, and the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research. People were arguing every quarter um, in the correspondence section with each other saying, no, it's good research, it's great stuff, and other people saying, no, it's just pure misinterpretation, it's nonsense, we shouldn't focus our efforts on it. And these were important discussions that if I didn't bring them back into the chapter um, for public awareness and also this academic awareness as well, this kind of two different approach that Steve wanted to aim for for the book, it would have been lost. And um, that was the first thing that I wrote and just didn't realize would be so extensive. And I thought with it being 10,000 words long by the time it was finished, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm going to lose a lot of it. And it's one of those things that when you've written that much and you think it reads perfectly, you really don't want to sacrifice even a few hundred words even there to chop it down. So luckily, um, once we both looked it over numerous times with the emails going back and forth, we have kept it at the length that it is, which is why it's such an extensive chapter. But as Steve said, even though it says a brief history, and yet it's 10,000 words, it really is a brief history because it could just go on and on. I had to leave out some researchers that did crop in here and there. Um, But again, we've provided references here and there. So if people do want to know about other figures that cropped in within the timeline, they can go off and research them. Excellent. Just just as an example... um... You know, when Cal sent me the first draft of the chapter, um, it was clear which direction it, uh, Cal was taking, and um, 
I think I, I think I stuck another fifteen hundred two thousand words on top of that. Um, but I mean, as an example of stuff that gets missed, Cal said rightly that you know most websites and most most uh, mentions of EDP say it started in Sweden with the film producer Friedrich Jorgensen being out in the forest and recording birdsong, and yet Amer- an American spiritualist. Uh, in 1852, claims to have invented a machine for communicating with the deceased. Um, in 1893, um, Father Landel de Mora, an early radio pioneer, talks about the possibility of radio communications with the dead and claims to have built a prototype spirit radio device. It goes on and on and on. Um, recordings from the 1920s um, during, a, a, I think, with 300 people uh, in, a, in, in a large seance at the Spiritualist Convention in London. Um, and the microphone on an empty stage started uh, voices, um, mm. supposedly from spirit, mm. starts coming through. Not recognised as what, they, what we would term EVP today. Um, and so everybody assumes that we have this um, this EVP begins in the 1950s, and we have the classic rowdiva voices. Everybody, I, I suppose it's a bit like parapsychology. Everybody thinks that the, uh, Ryan, um, they call him the father of parapsychology, which mm. in many ways he is. But the term and the study predate Ryan by a long way. Back into Germany um, as well. Exactly. I want to stray just for a little bit and, and ask about EVP. Uh, it's you know it's so popular and people seem to uh, get much more of a uh, what's the word I'm looking for you know a uh, almost a religious experience out of collecting EVPs and, and hearing different sounds. Why do you think that is over like visual? Uh, shall I go with that? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're I, I, I saw today. <laughs> I saw today briefly looking at new equipment for ghost hunting. This idea of a, a digital EVP recorder that's now in the form of a watch. You just strap it to your wrist. Um, I mean, that could have been out for months, and I've only just noticed it. But again, it's the gadgets. It's the instantaneous thing of having something that's this potential evidence instantly there. I mean, take ghost hunting back twenty or thirty years, and you've taken a um, 35 millimeter um, film camera with you, and you've taken all the shots and you've wound your film back. You're going to have to wait for that whole process of oh, getting yeah. it developed, and then you're getting your photos and you're going through them to see if you can identify anything as being unusual or something that you couldn't remember being there at the time. These EVP recorders, you know, you're getting some instant feedback, and there are some people out there that are, are quite obsessed with having their headphones on at the same time and asking questions and seeing if they can hear instant feedback to the questions that they ask. So I think, for one, that is why EVP has become so popular with ghost hunting groups, um, because it's something that is providing instant feedback when they're concentrating on the sounds that they're hearing when they pose a question. You know, even video footage, even though you're watching the camera screen, you can always take your eyes off it for a brief second. In fact, it's best to if they're ghost hunting in the dark to keep their eyes adjusted Mm -hmm. Um, and they're always going to go back and review that footage and check it over again but with the EVP they're doing this instantaneous stuff it's right there for them that's one interpretation I give to it Steve you you um, I know I'd I'd lodge more than me 
Well, yes, I'd, I'd, I'd rather concur with what you said, but I'd also add that it, it is very, very instantaneous. And people people have always wanted to talk, uh, to sideline the medium, to sideline the shaman and the priest. They wanted uh, the direct route through the oracles to the gods themselves, to the spirit realm. And electronic voice phenomena provides that, because when you're looking at a picture, it is just that. It's, it's, it's simply an image. It conveys no real information apart from... Uh, a visual representation of of whatever it is that's being represented. Similarly, with video, of course, it's it's yeah, or it's a moving representation. But with sound, it's conveying information. It's responding to a question. People hear their name being called. They hear, they hear answers to their questions. Sometimes the, the questions are quite banal. How many people am, are in the room? How many fingers am I holding up? What's the name of the person to my right? Inevitably, they're going to get the answers that, that they kind of require uh, because, you know, well, you'll have to read Anne's chapter to, to understand more about mm. that. But if we look at, if we actually look at electronic voice phenomena itself, there is a, there is a big, big difference between uh, the two streams of EVP. What we call, what we're talking about um, using the term electronic voice phenomena is primarily ghost investigators walking around locations with small digital recorders, asking questions, asking for responses and playing them back uh, in real time and then or, or using a, 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 one of these radio devices for a similar thing. And yet when you look at electronic voice phenomena study, there are several groups around the world that have been dedicated that have dedicated quarter of a century or more to the actual study of electronic voice phenomena and they don't go to haunted houses they they work from home they they, they have evp labs and they characterize the the voice phenomena very differently than the ghost hunters i mean for example they they give four quick characteristics of the electronic voices that, that they're seeking uh, that the voice entities speak very rapidly, normally in a mixture of languages, and sometimes using as many as five or six different languages within one sentence. The speech is, has a definite rhythm which seems forced upon them, um, forced upon the, the communication. There is a rhythmic mode of speech, that it, um, and it imposes a shortened, almost a telegram, telegraph style of phrasing and sentences. And grammatical rules are frequently abandoned. Um, and they are the characteristics that they're looking for, which are completely the opposite of EVP, ghost hunting EVP research. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the interesting thing about it is, is EVP. I mean, everybody just loves it because they... But a lot of it, to me, seems like uh, audio pareidolia, where you, you really hear what you kind of want to hear. I mean... Even well, for instance, it, we we have a, an EVP we use uh, for the ghost tours at uh, the Portsmouth Harbour Lighthouse. When you play it inside the lighthouse, everybody hears something like "Be quick" or something like that. But uh, when Steve was here last time, you play it outside, and everybody hears crap and <laughs> crap. So it, 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 it it's interesting that you know even the environment in which they're they're played back. Actually, uh, you know, distorts the EVP itself. Yeah, context is very important uh, because it plays upon people's expectations and belief. If they believe that the noise that they're hearing is the sound of a spirit answering the question, 
and if they say something, you know, what is my name? Um, then anything that sounds like, like the pizza bell that just happened then, anything that sounds like the phonemes of their name, Eve, Leave, Steve, Dave, the, their ears will latch onto it and they will make sense of that and they will usually shout out loud, it said my name, yes I heard it too and then you get this compliance and agreement between everybody as to what it said uh, and I refer back to a very early experiment that, that was done on television by Most Haunted during one of the lives and at the start of one of the programmes they played for EVPs and they didn't say anything about them and ask people to text in the, what they thought that EVP1234 was um, and at the start of the programme um, there was a fairly random mix. People were hearing a woman shouting, help, get me out, another a man um, you know, being horrible. But once, the, the, once um, what people were hearing was run across the bottom of the screen on a caption mm-hmm. bar, there was a compliance. And by the end of the show, unsurprisingly, there was a very high percentage of people agreeing... In agreement, uh, yeah. In agreement with what each EVP was saying because they were being told what it was saying. Right. There was um, an interesting thing that um, Chris French did at the Fortean Society when he and I were talking about electronic voices, and so he did a whole presentation on the psychology of pareidolia, and he started it off with people that had seen the Virgin Mary and a piece of toast and uh, stuff like that. And then he played some examples of EVPs, some that had been done, I think, on investigations, some that had been made up, and he just played them and wanted the audience's interpretation of what they were hearing. And then afterwards, he put what the people that initially recorded it believed it to say or what some other people in other groups had heard it say and, and just demonstrated that various forms of interpretation were put to the sounds heard. So, you know, they could play one recording and the audience said, well, it sounds like someone's saying, get over here. Well, I'm and here yet, a recording now, and it says we uh, have to go. <laughs> and so the other group see, had said, "I like brown toast or something." Uh, like I that. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you? Gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, you know what? We should have Cal back on, and we should do a little experiment like that and play some EVPs and have people uh, try to tell us what they are. So, anyways, we do have to go. You've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International, Mr. Cal Cooper. We want to thank you so much for joining us, uh, jo- thank you very uh, Steve much for Parsons. Me. And until uh, next time, I guess. Good night and God bless. Good night, God bless. Good night. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.